Welcome to the Reunion Belleville podcast, a place where everyday people apprentice to Jesus. We're glad you pulled up a seat and we hope that today's lead-in encourages you to take your next step. All right, good morning. I got to tell you, I'm excited about today's conversation. In fact, regardless of where you're at when it comes to Jesus, some of us are skeptical or cautious or curious or committed. I really believe today's conversation is going to help our lives. Because today's bottom line, and I know it's super simple, it's this. Change requires change. That's it. Change requires change. Now, I know many of you are thinking, Wes, tell me something I don't know. And I get it. Change requires change. It's something we understand. It's something we we get in our heads. But Richard Rohr says something really interesting. He says, we don't think our way into a new way of living. We live our way into a new way of thinking. And as a community, it's less important what we think we know and always more important how we move what we know into how we live. And so for many of us, this simple truth Change requires change, just might be enough this morning to impact your week, your month, and yes, even your year. Because as we said last week, no one just wakes up differently. I mean, I wish I did, but I don't. All my hopes and dreams and visions for my life, our family, and even for this church simply don't happen overnight. And they certainly don't happen without my, or in this case, our community's involvement. Change requires change. And when it comes to our New Year's resolutions, our life goals, and yes, even our apprenticeship to Jesus, the vision of what you hope to accomplish or the vision of who you want to become requires change. I hinted at this last week in regards to working out, just as an example, because many people overestimate overestimate what they can do in a week. They make big statements. Heck, I make big statements about what I'm going to do. And without even considering the change that must take place to allow it to happen. I don't always count the cost of what it's going to mean for the rest of my life. So I say things like I'm going to work out six days a week, I'm going to run on Saturdays, work two jobs, parent, husband, and apprentice to Jesus. And that's going to be all fine and dandy for a week, maybe even a month, but change requires change, not just a statement that we desire it. And so counting the cost of our vision is as important as catching a glimpse of it. Counting the cost of our vision is as important as catching a glimpse of it. Kristen and I just recently reintroduced an old rhythm last year, and we've committed to it again this year into our lives. It's it's a couples-only retreat or vacation. (laughs) Before kids, we took time to get away from work and regular life just to invest in one another. As a young man, many of my friends' parents divorced while we were away at university because at least according to my friends... Life just seemed to get weird without the kids around. Maybe life was weird because the purpose of the marriage changed from being together and growing together to now just being parents. And now being empty nested, they had drifted and even changed so much they weren't sure what was left or even who was there. And so these annual trips before kids, well, they stopped when we had kids. But now that our kids are old enough to be without us, we need to get back to spending intentional time with just us. This is a healthy rhythm for the two of us that impacts the rest of our rhythms because change requires change and that's going to cost us. Kristen and I have to make changes to the way we spend our money, plan our time, and even manage our kids' expectations and understandings of how we're going to live moving forward if we're serious about making time for one another. If our goal is to strengthen our marriage, well, change requires change. 
Our kids are invited into this process as they're learning as we plan our trip, our family trip to Florida in March. In order to go away as a family, we all have to change. And so we've invited them to help us count the cost. We have to cut back on gifts for birthdays and Christmas. We eat out less and we even skipped mini putting this year and other more in the moment fun activities because we have to ask our kids and we have to have this discussion. Why aren't we going? What do we want more than we want right now? And they always say, we're not going because we're going to Florida or yes, we want to go to Florida. We're saying no to this so we can say yes to our trip because change requires change. Our vision is going to cost us something. Counting the cost of our vision is as important as catching a glimpse of it because change requires change. As a church, we have a vision of who we are and who we are becoming. The main overarching vision for us as a community is to become more or to become maturing apprentices of Jesus. People who reflect the nature in the character of Christ. And we believe this happens by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus in order that we can participate in the ongoing presence and mission of the Holy Spirit right now, right here in this city for the benefit of our city. This vision will have major implications on our lives together and how we live our lives as a crew apart. And it's important from time to time to reflect on the cost of that vision because change requires change. We cannot live the same rhythm if we expect a different result. In fact, if you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, Jesus is giving this dissertation. He's giving this big kind of like statement and it's, it's challenging. In fact, let me, let me just read it to you. The story says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, Jesus says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose if one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish it. In verse 31, it says this, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to impose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Verse 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's simply thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Wow. <laughs> These are some of Jesus' most direct words in regards to what it looks like to follow him. And for me, as I reflected on this this week, this bottom line came up to me. Count the cost because change requires change. We need to count the cost because change does require change. By this time in Jesus' ministry, the crowds around him were growing. They were actually huge and he had become a bit of a celebrity rabbi or just like maybe a celebrity pastor in today's standards. Now, less in practice than today's celebrity pastors, but absolutely in reputation. He was known for his miracles, free food, and often rebellious and antagonistic teachings. He was a big deal. But the issue with crowds built on the hopes of a performance is that many aren't willing to settle in. When the show ends, 
people leave. When the show doesn't meet their appetite standards, they head somewhere else. When the what can you give me today turns up empty or unsatisfactory, or the teaching becomes too direct, the come and see people are, well, nowhere to be seen. And so from time to time we hear Jesus say similar things to his apprentices. He is constantly reminding them, life with me is going to cost you something because change requires change. So he reminds his apprentices and makes sure the interested understand this. Again, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. We've discussed different passages like this in the past, just last spring, that Jesus is saying less about you actually literally hating other people, but in a strong group society, choosing to follow Jesus, it's, it's going to seem that way. Because if you remember, a strong group society is one that places the group above the individual needs, wants, and aspirations. Eastern cultures then and now believe and therefore practice that your group, your family, or your community is more important than you as the individual are. Your job is not to pursue what's best for you, but what's best for the collective us, what's best for the family or community. And that makes us Westerners feel offended because we're a weak group society that says, you be you, you do you, you just do it, pursue it and go after it, even if it affects the group, the family and community. The individual in a weak group society in Western culture reigns supreme, even if it costs the group. But for Jesus culture, it was a strong group society. The family, the group, and the community was the driving force. And therefore, Jesus is making a radical statement to his followers that in choosing to follow Jesus, they're choosing a new group, a new community, a new family. And in doing so, it's a direct statement to the current group you're a part of, to the current community or family, that I'm choosing Jesus and therefore, in essence, I'm not choosing you. And that was and is seen to be a hateful statement. In fact, today, Orthodox Jewish families still hold funerals for family members who choose family members, sorry, who choose Jesus or another faith because they're choosing a different family. AKA, you're dead to us. You're no longer working with us or for us or alongside of us. Here in the West, Jesus is often a nice addition to our lives, but for many, Jesus is seen as the center and therefore a displacing figure in people's lives. To say yes to Jesus is having to say no to a lot more than just your Sunday mornings. To be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and live in active participation with the Spirit of Jesus was and is a radical statement that I'm choosing to place Christ at the center of my life, my schedule, my agenda, my economics, my hobbies, because He, Jesus, is my strong group. It sounds cultish, cultish. <laughs> for some of us, and even a little legalistic to our Western and often church-abused minds, and it was a re radically rebellious and off-putting even to Jesus' audience back then. But it means for them, as it does for us today, that if we're going to lean into the way of Jesus, change requires change. To place Jesus at the center of our lives means a displacement to the things and even people already there. It doesn't mean that I literally hate my mother and my father, but in moments I can tell you, and maybe you've had similar experiences where I've had to make choices with Jesus that have upset people. 
When I accepted the call to be a pastor, my dad was not happy. He was a PK who had very difficult experiences growing up and he wanted to protect me and he had a vision for what a prosperous life for me could look like. But when Jesus said, hey Wes, this is what I, I want you to do with your life. And I said, yes, it meant leaving my father's vision behind and it caused conflict. For some of us, this vision of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and living in active participation with the Spirit of Jesus today for the benefit of our city, whew, that sounds intriguing. If not, for some of us, very exciting. Our souls can catch a glimpse of something, and we are curious, but it comes with a cost. To say yes to Jesus will mean saying no to other things, and yes, even other people. And it's a cost we often overlook or fail to engage. We make New Year's resolutions or statements for what we want to do and who we want to become without acknowledging that change requires change. And some of those things, well, they're going to straight up cost us. Jesus gives a couple of examples that are so simple to understand. We don't really need to dig into them, right? It makes total sense to be aware of your building costs before you build. It makes total sense that if you're going to go to war, you better be aware of who you're fighting because to fail to count the cost is actually just going to cost you. I've seen this in every aspect of my life and even in my spiritual growth. I'm an excitable guy who loves to go hard out the gate. I make big plans and even bigger statements that I want to read my Bible, pray every day. I want to fast and journal. I want X, Y, and Z. I want, I want, I want. But at what cost? Change requires change and those rhythms we want to create mean changing the way we already live. And for the majority of us sitting here today, it's not just about us as an individual, right? Many of us are married, many of us have children, and any dream or vision we have for our lives impacts the rhythms of the lives of everyone we share space with. For example, I started a running group three years ago, and that means that I seldom get to eat breakfast with my kids. Being a family who opens our home is another example. As often as we host people, that means, as an extrovert, I'm super excited, and as a family, we really enjoy it, but it means we have to create intentional, special alone time for our introverted family members. And we also have to cut apart time just for our family, because change requires change, and we better count the cost. In closing, I have no idea what your goals are. I have no idea what you desire for your apprenticeship with Jesus or with your relationship with this church. But the wonderful thing about our crew is that it means many of us are finding our way back to Jesus and that's an incredibly exciting for us as a community that we're a safe place for people to heal or reconnect. Some of you are here this morning again uh, after a couple of weeks or for the first time because you're sensing you need something more or something different. This is really good news because Jesus is the path and the solution to that need. I believe that. But whatever it might be in this moment, I'm going to invite you to consider what is going to cost you and your family? Not to scare you or to make you worry, but because counting the cost of our vision is as important as catching a glimpse of it. What do you want to see happen this year? Who or what do you want to become? And what might it cost you to actually get there? We're going to spend a couple minutes in silence and reflection before we break into groups. And I've got just three questions that I'm hoping you can wrestle through as a group before we come back together and share communion. Change requires change. And that change is often going to cost you something. And this can be applied to every area of our lives, but when it comes to our apprenticeship to Jesus, placing Jesus at the center of our lives is going to cost the things that are already there, maybe even some of the relationships. It's really, really important that we count 
the cost. What is Jesus in God saying to you this morning and how are you going to respond? Thank you for listening to today's lead-in. We pray that you were able to learn something about Jesus today, but equally important, we pray that you sense a step you might take in response. What would it look like for you to live with Jesus today in light of our discussion? You can learn more about our community at www.reunionbelleville.com and we're always here to walk with you.